0: Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news, slice, dice, and digest it. I am Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, and I am joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo and Editor Rachel Mutter. Hello, you two. We have chosen today to talk about COVID. I know, I know, everybody's talking about COVID. Nobody wants to hear more about it. However, there have been some developments that impact the seafood sector, and we need to talk about it and think about how it's going to affect things in the shorter run. Um, What we have seen over the past couple of weeks is a resurgence of COVID across Europe. Um, Certainly the United States, things have not been going in the right way. Um, In China, things appear to be improving and getting back on track, but of course that's tenuous. But we're gonna look at all that and how it impacts seafood. Rachel, I'm gonna go over to you first. Uh, former resident of China, so you know quite a bit about the, the culture there. Um, tell us a bit about the, uh, about the Chinese uh, economy and the Chinese consumers and their, uh, their resilience in the face of the COVID outbreak uh, and some of these recent findings.
1: Yeah, well, China, I, th- I, think, I think what's happening at the moment is that China is showing, as you say, its resilience sort of in the face of, of things like this. Um, their reaction to the coronavirus outbreak was a lot prompter and a lot more severe than most other countries in the world. And I think they're now sort of reaping the benefits of that. You know, they locked everything down. Um, they managed to wipe out, Really high number of cases. They brought that number down in a in a relatively quick amount of time. If you look at if you look at places like the the US and and the UK, um, Brazil, um, you know the the measures there just aren't being taken to wipe it out. But in China, it was it was it was stamped out quickly because they knew the damage it could do to their economy. It's a (laughs) it's a very different story in in Asia than it is in the rest of the world at the moment. And yes, we are now seeing recovery. Um, tentative recovery, I might say, because I think at any moment it could sort of resurge. But definitely their economy is looking a lot healthier um, in China and other parts of Asia than it, is, than it is elsewhere.
0: Right. The GDP was 4.9% higher. Those stats came out, I think, over the past uh, few days. 4.9% higher in the third quarter than it was in the third quarter of 2019. Um, and consumer spending has started to spring back into place as well, which... Um, you know that's obviously a positive sign for um for the food sector and the seafood sector in particular. Um, I remember Rachel earlier on this year when COVID first kind of hit. Uh, you discuss with uh, a RoboBank analyst based over in China um, about how consumers react to food scares. Um, we have had, uh, over the summer kind of, uh, late spring, I believe we had the COVID finding at a cutting board in a wet fish market, um, uh, that was, uh, the cutting board was used for salmon and that led to kind of a big consumer scare. Um, salmon, uh, consumption went down dramatically, uh, and by all accounts has yet to recover fully, but, um, companies have resumed exports there and, um, and, and certain segments have uh, have recovered, but um, Chinese consumers are really sensitive to food scares, and um, one of the things that can help them through correct is um is international brands seem to be something that um, kind of gives them some peace of mind um, when there are these food scares so is Is that going to be part of the way uh the way that seafood companies can recover is maybe playing up the international um nature of the supply?
1: Yeah, well I think that's what's been really interesting recently actually, because yeah, obviously we had this scare around salmon, um, and also then around shrimp and then and then they found COVID on on whitefish packaging was sort of the most recent thing. Um yeah at at a time when I spoke to the rubber bank analyst when the first sort of uh, connection had been made um between the salmon chopping board in Beijing there was sort of the 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 fear factor there was really brought out that that Chinese consumers have about food safety um as you say they've had a lot of food safety scandals in the past um not seafood related but but related to other food types, and it's really had quite a dramatic effect on um on the the consumption of that product. And with salmon, it sort of felt like it might go the same way, but actually what we've seen is far more resilience of of this product and maybe that is because it's imported. Um, Imported food has always held a much more secure place in Chinese society because it's seen, you know, foreign food safety standards are generally seen as much better than than domestic food safety standards by the Chinese consumer. So, and what we're seeing now I think is that that actually has held salmon in a much better position than maybe people thought was going to happen. So, absolutely, and, and and we had that story this week um, from Multi Export that their sort of super premium farmed salmon, as as they brand it from from Patagonia, um, has actually done has actually done very well in the face of this pandemic. And even though it's imported salmon that supposedly has all these connections to COVID now. Um, it's, it's managed to play its provenance story well. Um, and Chinese consumers are still eating it. They're lapping it up because, as you say, it sort of has a name against it. And I think if you can, there is there definitely an argument here for, for more branded international product in the Chinese market. Um, and I think, yeah, multi-export has shown that this is perhaps the way salmon producers should be going. They should be branding their product. They should be labeling it with that provenance um, even more than they ever did before and that and this could actually win them some market share in china absolutely
0: yeah i mean I think the uh, the headlines about the um the live coronavirus samples on frozen food packaging that you mentioned um that is of a of a big concern i guess across the industry it still seems mm, the link seems tenuous uh still or at least it 's unclear is that Fair to say, it's it's always a little bit difficult when these food scares first break um, in China to know quite how it's being received among Chinese um, consumers, uh, and and with the translation and everything, it's sometimes hard to know when it gets into um, the English news um, what exactly the situation is. So, do you have a maybe a, a clearer read for uh, for our listeners on what? actually was found this last week?
1: Yeah, so what was found was a live, infectious um, version of COVID on some frozen whitefish packaging. It didn't say where this whitefish had come from, and it didn't even really say what the whitefish was. Well, it, it said the Chinese word um for cod and pollock is the same. So actually it's difficult to know which one it was. Um, I guess it, it could have been Pollock because there's sort of more of that coming into China. But but irrelevant of that, um, the notice that the Chinese authorities gave out was actually very measured. Um, so they'd sort of they'd sort of tentatively said that this finding of a live virus on on frozen whitefish packaging could be responsible um, for a sort of latest cluster of cases in, in Qingdao, in the port city of Qingdao. Uh, where a, white, a lot of white fish comes in, um, but they also made it very clear in the announcement that it was this was a very low risk thing to consumers um, they They specifically pointed out that actually, even though this finding had been made it was it was more likely to impact workers in cold storage than it was to to any consumer, um, and they definitely didn 't make any signs of sort of discouraging consumers of eating fish just to just to Prepare it with the usual food safety standards, etc., that that everyone uses. So I thought, that actually, that was quite measured, um, considering some of the sort of fear that, that that exporters seem to be feeling towards these these stories in China. And actually, the Chinese consumer is pretty savvy uh, when it comes to food. They're far more they're far more educated about food, I think, than a lot of other cultures. Um, it's a huge part of their culture of food, so they kn- they know more about it. They know more about provenance. They know, you know they make sure they find this stuff out about nutrition and and all this. So I think I think it's not too big a deal to be honest. Um, I think it doesn't cause the same kind of scare that it might do I- in other markets because it's still it's 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 foreign food, which is always deemed safer in China than anything else. So I yeah, it's interesting to watch what's happening, but. As far as I can tell, it's not quite causing the panic among consumers that, that maybe people thought it might.
0: That's interesting. Yeah, and, and I wonder, too, if that's something, if there's a lesson there for Ecuador, who's certainly been hit dramatically by the, uh, the findings on, on shrimp, which is kind of interesting, like you said, Rachel, to see which products sort of have that resilience and ability to bounce back and which ones don't. Um, because now we've had salmon, shrimp, and whitefish. We've had the three the trifecta of the important seafood species in the world um, all be linked to COVID. Um and they've all had, you know, quite different reactions. So.
1: Yeah, and of course I think politics, you know, potentially comes into it
0: too. So this,
1: you know, I I know a lot of the Russian um Russian Pollock exporters were sort of saying or isn't it, you know, isn't it coincidental that at the time that Chinese importers of Pollock were sort of asking for better prices that that suddenly they find COVID on Pollock? So so there's definitely it's definitely quite a complex story um, and it's difficult to know which direction it's going in. But as far as the consumer is concerned, I think at the moment um, it's not having too much impact. So, uh, yeah, we'll watch. We'll watch that one, though.
0: Right. All right. Well, let's pivot a little bit. Let's stay on to China for a moment. And John, I'm going to ask you about uh, about uh, a lawsuit that was filed yesterday by some seafood wholesalers in the United States against the Trump administration. And this was interesting um, because their allegations essentially were that they the, the quote unquote bailouts that the U.S. Department of Agriculture gave in their purchasing for school lunches and the like that that was unfairly given more to uh, farmers than to the seafood sector. So tell us a bit about that. Is there anything to it? What, what, is this, what does this mean?
2: It's hard to know how far something like this will go. These were, uh, these were wholesalers down in Louisiana and Texas. But yeah, you're, you described it very well that... They they feel they feel they've been left out of a lot of this bailout money um, that has gone largely to uh, farmers who are there are big supporters of the Trump uh, re-election campaign. So obviously they're making that connection between hey if you're not a supporter you don't get get the money. So um, how far will it go? It's it's hard to say exactly because. Um, You know, they're trying to show the connection between the retaliatory tariffs and the loss of their business. Houston Seafood Company is one of them. And, for example, it says it paid over $641,000 more for product and other fees as a direct, result of the tariffs and you know they think they should be compensated in some way like that just as soy farmers have been and and others so um you know I, i i guess a lot of it will depend on what happens in 12 or 13 days however long it is to uh election day um but you know this is just more of the quid pro quo behavior that we've seen from this administration anyway so it doesn't surprise me in any way.
0: Yeah, I, I found that. The case is very interesting, and you mentioned the next administration, whether it's a continuance of existing administration or whether Biden and Harris get elected. This case isn't going to go away, and you always wonder, you know, the Trump administration has proven to be very vindictive against people that um, complain, sue, speak out, you name it. Um, so I'll be curious to see whether or not, if Biden gets elected, and this um, obviously this case will be ongoing at that time, if other companies would join in, and I'm talking about other more, uh, maybe more established, more notable companies, and that's no offense to Houston Seafood Company and Gulf Marine and, and Ningbo, but, um, but they're not really household names. They're not massive companies. But um, that could be interesting. I don't know that they have a leg to stand on in terms of suing over the disbursement of funding. Um, but I don't know. I'm not sure if that, if that, if there's a legal recourse for that or if it's a legislative recourse, it's kind of interesting because it came on the same day that, um, Senator Elizabeth Warren and, uh, another Senate colleague in Massachusetts, um, came out and praised uh, a four, around a $4 million a contract given to Blue Harvest Fisheries, um, which is owned by Brigal, a private equity fund. Um, incidentally, a private equity fund based in Germany. Um, but uh, they got a $4.4 million a contract. And um, Warren uh, said, hey, this is great. Uh, the, the company and the sector deserves it, but there's another $15 million that's earmarked. That okay. should be allocated to the ground fish sector. So, um, it, you know, whenever you have these bailouts, whenever you have um, when you have um, federal governments trying to stimulate the economy and prop up industries, there's there's bound to be a lot of people that fall through the cracks. There's bound to be a lot of um, a lot of favoritism and a lot of different ways that that people um win those contracts and i don't know how the sausage is made but it's it's interesting
2: well it's important to note too uh in light of this lawsuit that you know seafood companies have received money um because of covid for example all these um, uh, contracts that have been awarded by the u.s government to pollock producers and others like Blue Harvest as well, to get um, food for the uh, food assistant programs in the U.S. Uh, there's $100 million so far that's gone through that channel uh, just this year alone. And, you know, uh, NOAA uh, allocated $300 million in aid primarily for the harvest sector, for fishing, aquaculture, and to some degree processing businesses. So. You know, there's there's 400 million there on top of PPP money and, and things like that. So there's a lot of money going around, but I, I don't have the figure for how much the the farmers have gotten. But um, at least according to this lawsuit, I mean, it dwarfs anything that seafood has seen. So, well, that's a much know.
0: more important voting block. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Alaska, Alaska, and, and Washington aren't in contention where some of those. Uh, states where farming is uh, is so important are so but
2: but, you know all of these companies um, need some help I mean this 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 pandemic has rattled um, businesses you know from soy farmers to you know whatever shrimp farmers but um, so everybody needs some help it's just you know It's just a concern of how it's allocated, and I don't know if that would ever be fair, no matter who's in the White House, but um, at least in this case, these particular companies see it as very unfair. And to your point earlier, I mean, if the more established or bigger name uh, distributors start jumping in on this, or wholesalers, that probably changes the, the complexion of this uh, in a big way, I would think. I think it would probably push this uh, suit along a little a little bit more.
0: Yeah. One of the things, you mentioned the PPP loans, so we're actually working on a story on that right now, following up with companies that have received it. Um, by our calculations, there was about 1,000 seafood companies that received PPP loans. And roughly mm, close to a billion dollars in PPP, uh, th- th- sorry, Paycheck Protection Program. That's what PPP stands for. Um, what we'll just call them COVID bailout loans. So these COVID bailout loans, um, there was a lot of money that was that was given out, and you know what what we're doing now is following up and finding out what what companies did with that money. Um, there, there's no doubt, as you said, John, that. That was not enough for most of these companies, particularly companies that rely on the food service sector. It's just not enough. It's just not enough for them. But uh, that said, there's a lot of companies that did receive it that, um, did they need it? I don't know. Uh, Depends on who you ask. If you ask these companies' uh, competitors, they would say, no, they didn't need it. Um, Maybe that means a competitor applied and didn't get one. Um, Maybe it means that they... Don't have um, as fast acting, um, you know, uh, accountants. Uh, I don't know, but um, but the, the the discussions and the the uh, negotiations right now over when the next bailout might come uh, will be pretty interesting because we'll see if that same amount of money uh, is going to be going out to companies um, whether they'll try to do it in in this. Paycheck loan type situation, or how they might do it, um, how they'll do the stimulus, but um, it'll be interesting, interesting to see. Um, but certainly, this is all taken its toll on uh, on companies. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, you know, and it's 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 concerning um, in the sense that we're about to. Enter both here and internationally uh, the the festive I'll say the festive part of the year where we have uh, you know several holidays um, not only here but in China and everywhere else. So you know what goes along with that is families getting together blah 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 and you know it's being discouraged obviously and and probably rightly so but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen so. Generally what has been happening is when people get together, you know that there's a spike uh, people start getting sick again and we're seeing that already but we're moving into a very serious time in that sense because we have Christmas and all those other things so you know I don't think the companies I don't think the hardship for the companies are are over yet and so they will need more money they will need a bridge to get through this so we'll see we'll see what that looks like i guess
0: well here's another specter that sort of is looming over the industry that that is um that we reported about um earlier this week um, now th- there was a, a a case brought against north pacific seafoods that's an alaska processor owned by the japanese um, company marubeni uh they were uh, sued earlier in the alaska salmon season uh over some issues of getting the workers up to alaska some allegations of not being paid of being um locked in their hotel rooms and things like this um and and some of the outlines of what i understand in reading those court documents um and i'm not going to be the judge or the uh jury um but some of what i read in those in the the allegations were Practices that were pretty common um, in in protecting workers and protecting companies on their uh, as these um, either migrant or out of state workers made their way up to Alaska. So what I'm curious about is if we're going to see more of these cases. A class action suit was filed, um, and this one was uh, alleging um, it was basically an iteration of what the earlier uh, suit was, but saying that the working conditions were untenable, saying that um, wages uh, that there was wage theft because people weren't uh, compensated for part of their time in quarantine. Um, yeah, y- y- so I'm just curious. Uh, this can go to, to either of you, Rachel, maybe to you because there's, there's been outbreaks, of course, um, all over the world. Um, your home country, the UK, there was a recent outbreak in, uh, in, at Young's Seafood in Grimsby. And just in a general sense, do, do you see uh, on a global scale that we might see workers um, bringing suit? Uh, it's certainly happening in the meat processing sector. Um, I know Brits are not as litigious as Americans, but um, just taking that example, um, do you see this happening um, you know, more around the world?
1: Yeah, well, it's yeah, it's interesting because I've been thinking about this, and and yesterday, um, I put up a story that that New Zealand's cases had just spiked because um, the the government there had sort of relaxed their rules on uh, foreign crew, foreign fishing crew coming into the country, um, and, and with that. Um, came, came a, a big spike in cases for New Zealand. Um, I think it was, it was 18 cases in Russian and Ukrainian fishing crew that came across, but, but that aside, yeah, sort of the details of the story and, um, the fact that now, uh, every one of that crew was sort of shut up in a, in a hotel and, um, and sharing two to a room, I think it said, was sort of one of the details and, and yeah, COVID brings with it a whole lot of interesting um, human rights questions. Um, and this isn't a new story. I think ever since sort of governments started bringing in, you know, lockdowns and restrictions on people's movement, um, this has sort of come into question. Like, what's more important? Is a human, human freedoms more important or is keeping, you know, vulnerable members of the population safe? more important and, and where does that stand and I think certainly in the seafood industry um, in the in the fishing industry in the processing industry where where migrant workers are very important and where um, you know people work in close proximity and and they're working on the front line so they have to keep operating this is going to be this is going to be where I think we see the first uh, yeah cases of, of lawsuits as, as we're already seeing where I mean I Brings up so many interesting questions, and I don't really know where I stand on it. But it, yeah, it's going to happen more and more. But it but it comes at a time when companies don't really have the money to to do anything about it. Um, and and what do you do? What do the companies do instead of quarantining people? Or you know, where's the line? I don't know where the line is of what's what's fair and what's safe and what's it, it's 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 very difficult. It's very difficult, and I, I don't feel great for anyone. You know, playing a part on either side—the company or the workers. So I'm not quite sure what will happen there, but I think definitely we'll see more, yeah, more more law lawsuits about it.
0: Yeah, curious what you think, John. I mean, we've we've seen in um, you know, as I said, in in the meat processing sector, we have seen a lot of lawsuits brought against companies, um, in particular if if uh, workers uh, passed away because of COVID or were facing major medical bills. Um, JBS, uh, major worker based or major, uh, meat processor, uh, based in Brazil that has big operations here in the United States. They've been sued. Um, Tyson, um, yeah, a, a lot of, a lot of these big companies have, have faced lawsuits, um, cargill um for its meat operations not its aquaculture uh, and feed operations but you know do you see this once this sort of gets broader into the um you know out, out into the the world that other other uh lawyers might bring these class action suits and workers might start to to see opportunities to um claim back some money they may have lost because of um because of this
2: I, I mean, I suppose it's inevitable, you know, at least here in the States where they sue over anything pretty much, but I, I, I'm in the same place that Rachel is in. I don't, I can't really put my mind on this yet in the sense of putting blame somewhere. I mean, I think because obviously this is unprecedented, nobody knew what to do, right? And they did the best they could as things went on. I I honestly don't think most companies intentionally put their workers in danger however you know things have to get made and food has to get produced and, and things like that so it is it there's just no... No right answer, at least as far as I'm concerned. My my wife works in a high school, and it's interesting because there you're seeing a lot of the teachers. They're still remote; they're still online learning, but they're talking about bringing the teachers back. And the teachers don't want to come back. They're afraid, you know. They're they're afraid to get in that environment and and things like that. And older teachers in particular are retiring and things like that. So. I think overall, this is this. There'll be a significant change in the workforce that ultimately results from this. I don't know what it will be exactly, but yeah, we're we're in a we're in a heck of a little transition here as far as the workforce is concerned.
0: All right, folks, we'll leave it there. There'll be more about COVID in the coming days, weeks, months, and probably years uh, in terms of its impact on the seafood sector. Uh, remember, you can find more news and information on IntraFish.com. You can sign up for our newsletters there. Uh, and we're, we're there 24-7. We have reporters around the globe, in Asia, in Europe, in the UK, in North America, South America. So we're on top of it all. Uh, you can drop us a line, editorial at IntraFish.com, if you think there's things that we should be looking into. Uh, always happy to hear from our readers and hear tips and ideas we have a new report that's just been released our land-based salmon farming report we're really proud of this one uh it is a big big report we put a lot of work into it analyzed all the projects out there uh looked at the risks looked at the challenges pitfalls uh potential rewards and interviewed uh dozens of people for this including ceos of the companies lenders financiers analysts. Uh, it's a great one. So go ahead and go to intrafish.com. You can learn more about it there. We also have a webinar coming up on November 3rd. It's a big day in the United States with the presidential election, but take your mind off it for an hour and join Intrafish and BMR. We will be looking at fish feed and health and sustainability. Uh, we have Leroy lined up. We have Lalaman. We have Co-op in the UK lined up. Um, It's going to be a fantastic discussion. Uh, Join us. You can go to IntraFishEvents.com and register there uh, and reserve your place. So we hope to see you there. All right. Thanks, folks, and we'll talk to you next week.